This is Benny Chapman, the creature from the Black Lagoon, without your head. Decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by the original Doctor Doom and the writer, director, and actor in Welcome to the Men's Group, Joseph Kalt. It's very cool to have you here. Thanks, Neil. Pleasure to be here. You're a captain. A uh, captain? Did you say? I thought you said you were a decapitated captain. Anyway, uh, I mean, right? Was this heard? It was the station of decapitation, but I do like the captain. Uh, of the station, okay. Yeah. The captain of decapitation. How about that? Or I like decap- that. I, or decapitated I, captain. <laughs> I like that. I think I'll add that to, to, to the to the nicknames. Good. I've already yeah. I've already made a point. <laughs> so right. for for, pe- for people not oh. aware, can you give them an idea of what Welcome to the Men's Group is about? Surely. Um, so, folks out there, welcome to the Men's Group is a new feature film. Uh, it's a comedy drama about a modern day men's group. And men's groups, you know, some men run screaming from the idea, are a quite, a, quite an amazing thing to me. Um, I would say men's groups are, are as I said, a modern day sort of phenomenon that grew up in the last no, 30 years or so, I would say, um, where men get together to actually talk in a supportive way uh, about their lives, about their feelings, about, you know, m- much in the way that you would expect, I suppose, you know, women to, to, to share things, but men ordinarily do not share those kinds of things. They don't share their fears. They don't share what's really going on. Most of our culture, you know, permits us and encourages us just to drink and and watch sports. And so these guys uh, are in a men's group and that's different. That's where you, you, you get together and eat some food and then you sit down and it's more of like a spiritual support group where you actually talk about what's going on with Joe and Neil and, and Fred and, and and Carl and people share about their lives and 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 this movie is about on one particular day in the life of this group things uh, get a, a new guy is is brought into the group he's the newcomer and of course you know, whenever you bring a newcomer in a group everyone starts behaving badly and so things kind of spin out of control in terms of you know people trigger each other they get into conflict and they they their whole very therapeutic forum kind of descends into chaos and um and some things are really tested about the group 
how much they trust each other, how far are they willing to go to support each other. And it, uh, it goes some places that are quite surprising um, that you don't see every day in movies. Um, it's an ensemble piece with eight actors, uh, incredible actors. Uh, Stephen Tobolowski, who everybody knows from a million different movies and TV shows like Groundhog Day and Californication and um, the Goldbergs. Uh, the great Timothy Bottoms, who was a major, major star in the 70s, with Last Picture Show and The Paper Chase. Uh, David Clinton, who's been in being there and, and, and The Thing by John Carpenter. Really wonderful, wonderful ensemble of actors, and they, they're, they're, they're quite wonderful. And, uh, and yeah, it's, so it's a new kind of movie, um, and it's out now. Uh, just came out on VOD, and so you can watch it at a moment's notice on mm-hmm. Google, Google and iTunes and Amazon and wherever you get your movies. And, you know, I have a whole history with men's groups. That's why I wrote, uh, I co-wrote the film with a partner of mine. And um, we put it together and then I directed it. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a very unusual piece. And I think people would be intrigued to see what goes on in the life of a men's group, you know, yeah. what really happens there. And I may add very quickly that women love the film because they love to see men actually sharing feelings or trying to. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something most women are very sorry for. So that's that's the movie right now. Welcome to the men's. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know that you had like a background in actual men's club. I was going to ask about that because it seemed like it was something that was personal to you. Uh, how long have you been uh, uh, part of that scene? So yeah, I first got interested in, in men's work, as they call it, or men's groups. Um, Quite a while ago, I would say, you know, way over 20 years, um, there was a, a really there was a moment in the early 90s um, when this started coming into the, a little bit more into the foreground that men were doing these kinds of groups and they sought out this kind of support for each other. And there was a famous book by an American poet named Robert Bly. It was called Iron John. And it was all about men and storytelling and mythology and and that men, he was saying, needed to to own their grief and their their wounds. And they could find through storytelling and ritualized gathering a kind of, you know, new spiritual out, spirituality about themselves. And I started getting interested in it then. Um, I came from a background where uh, I was hungry for that in a certain way. Um, it's a lot about mentoring, you know, that men need mentors and we don't, our culture doesn't really provide mentoring anymore. It used to be for thousands of years, men always had mentors. And it's, it's the idea that you don't really become a man until older men kind of initiate you into that world. And many of us, you know, you know, just feel like we're adolescents just growing up, you know, but we're not really men. And so that was really interesting to me. And so I started participating in men's groups, and I, I'm still in one today. I, I think it's a terrific group. I know there are organizations all over the world that, that promote this kind of stuff, um, men getting together to do special weekends. And, you know, it's, uh, it's quite provocative. And so, yeah, I put that. It's a very personal film in that sense. It's something I really was passionate about. 
Mm-hmm. So would you say, um, like the Tom character, because the way the movie, the audience is kind of Tom in the movie uh, when you're watching it, because this is your first experience. Exactly. So uh, is the Tom character yeah. kind of uh, you when you first started to go to these? Uh, that's interesting. Um, the Tom character played by Mackenzie Aston, um, who, uh, brother of Sean Aston and many people have oh. known Mackenzie's work over the years. Great actor. Um, yeah, the choice was, well, to give an audience a real view of like, well, you know, this is a little strange, a little alt culture, you know, alternative this men's group thing was to bring a new guy into the group and that guy would be our audience surrogate in a way mm-hmm. and we would sort of as we watch the film unfold as an audience it's a bit through his eyes and he does i think he goes he's so great in this movie Mackenzie Aston he shows every possible color of like you know kind of being game for it then like something goes a bit strange and he looks mm-hmm. like i uh, don't know if i signed up for this and um guys are going extreme and so you get all those emotions that we would that we, we that we as the audience actually feel when we're witnessing these guys unfold in front of us um i guess i was a little bit like Mackenzie. sure there's a part of me that's like that part of how i look at it i'm a little more because i have a background as an actor and Mm-hmm. Um, theater person and you know into psychology and everything I think I was always very uh, gung-ho about the idea of the men's groups you know when I first got into them but at the same time you know re- reason I made the movie is because there are things that happen that are both really inspiring to me that I see things happen between men and men's groups that like that gives me hope you know for humanity basically and then there are things they do that are totally ridiculous because men are <laughs> men can be really stupid and 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 uh, dumb and and ridiculous and and I think that that we had to celebrate that part of it too in the movie. Uh-huh. So that's why it's very much it, as you, you know it is a comedy drama. It's a drama with comedy. Yeah, I like that about yeah. them because when the movie starts off, it's almost like I thought it was going to be a different kind of movie where not necessarily making fun of the uh, the men's group, mm-hmm. but kind of having fun with it. You know, I thought, yeah. was, and then um, about really about halfway, it's about the halfway point. The movie really yeah. gets like real. And, oh, yeah. uh, and oh, yeah. I thought that was a great part of the movie. And then um, from there, then it kind of goes back and forth from comedy and drama and does a really good job at that. But there's a part they, right in the middle where it gets very real. And I was like, you know, then you're oh, really yeah. sucked into the movie, I thought. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that because that was really my vision of it and also my writing partner as well was that I was very clear. I said, I look, I want, I actually was very clear. I did not want this to be a a common um, Hollywood satire of a men's group. I was very sure of that because, you know, I am a bit, you know, uh, uh, preaching, you know, I'm, I'm a bit part of the choir and I, I believe in this work. I think it's important, but because I'm a movie maker and a storyteller, I know that that has to be interesting and entertaining. And for me, that means it's got to be also funny to some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we have to poke fun at ourselves, yes. trying to be very serious, new agey things. At the same time, I don't, I don't leave it there. You know, I say, mm-hmm. no, this is, this is, this is real. This gets real. And I'm, I'm proud that the movie does that because I, I don't 
make fun of that. I think that's very important, in fact, that men could open up and really share what's going on with them. So, yeah. So, yeah, it does split the line there. And, and, and it has fun with it. It goes back and forth like that was really serious. But mm-hmm. in the next moment, something very funny could happen, you know. And I yeah. believe life, life is kind of like that, too. Exactly. And like, um, like the movie saying, to be honest with yourself, uh, part of being part of being honest with yourself is having fun with yourself and, you know, kind of being able to laugh at some of the silliness about you or, or life in general. Exactly. We can't take ourselves too seriously or else, oh, oh boy, <clears throat> who would want to go on with it? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So actually, has your has your actual group watched the movie? Yes, my actual. That's a great question. And many people do not ask that. So you're you're quite wise. Um, during the course of my making the film, uh, and even, even, even the writing it, you know, my group, they were aware that I was doing that. And my partner, my partner, Scott Ben-Yashar, my writing partner, he's also in, in, we're in the same men's group. So there was a little bit of that, like, now, what are you guys writing about? Because, you know, you better not be telling our stories, you know? Because this is anonymous, you know, that's part of the culture of anonymity. You're supposed to, you know, you don't share outside the group what goes on there. It's a very safe place. And, you know, I assured them and I still assure and, uh, that, no, this is a compilation of a lot of different ideas. Uh, certainly some experiences I have had, some are more uh, fictionalized. Um they're, they're amalgams of men that I've met over the years. And they're also parts of ourselves, parts of the writers. Mm-hmm. So I kind of tried to quell their, their concern about it. And then finally, when they saw it, you know, I think that they were quite you know, tickled by the whole thing. They, they certainly did recognize certain things that they could relate to. And they might even say, oh, that's me. That's me. That's me. For sure. you know? Or that's, that's this guy over there, you know. But at the same time, they, they were aware it was a work of, of art, a work of fiction. You know, it's not pointing at any particular guy. It's about the whole idea. And, um, and I will say that they were all very supportive and very pleased and, and, and very, yeah, you know, very proud that uh, they were connected with it in a certain way, I think. Mm-hmm. So that, that was good. So, uh, the cast itself, as you mentioned, is a great cast and uh, a great ensemble piece. Uh, how did you cast the movie? And did did you write it before you casted it, or are some of the characters uh, kind of written for them? So um, I'll take that as a as a sort of backside compliment because uh, the script was absolutely verbatim. Everything. We, we worked on that script for a long time to get it exactly where we wanted it to be. And then finding the actors that could give voice to those characters that we had really thought a lot about and tried to get their voices in the script. Finding those actors was, was, was a miracle, was a blessing. It was all those things that like a gift, you know, that we got the guys that could really deliver this screenplay, this, this material. Uh, it was not written for them, but it was almost like it was. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And it really came together that way. It was like, wow. They, uh, um, they embodied these characters and they, they, these actors committed to it, you know, 150%. They, um, you know, we did it very traditionally. 
Neil. We we certainly went through the whole. We went through a period where there was the typical thing about, well, maybe we can get this guy and that guy. And I was like telling everybody uh, involved, I'm saying, no, we can't really. You know, that's a game that you play in Hollywood of like, you know, if you don't have the money to to offer certain actors, there's no way that their agent will even give them the script. Okay, Mm -hmm. bottom line. And I have to say there are many actors out there who are very angry because they really wish they had been in the movie, but their, their agents wouldn't even give them the, the screenplay, you know, and that's uh-huh. typical. Um, yeah. So I said, listen, we played that game. We tried to get, you know, who and who, who's who, and that's all very nice, you know, but let's just cast it. Let's open it up and see who comes, you know, mm-hmm. let's the agents that will let their clients read the script, you know, right. and, these guys walked in, you know, um, many and many others like them, but, but we got the cream of the crop, you know, it, Tim, um, Stephen Tobolowsky was the first guy I met. He read mm-hmm. the script, he came down to meet me and he goes, I love it. It's great. What do you want me to do? And I was like, are you kidding? You know, <laughs> what, what don't I want you to do? Uh-huh. And I, he, I think at first he was not so sure that he was going to be Carl either. Uh-huh. So, so I said, listen, <laughs> Go read it again, because this is what you should play. And he didn't bat an eye. He went, then I'll do it. <laughs> and that, I'll tell you, if any, you know, your Neil is laughing, everybody, because. <laughs> Carl's Stephen an amazing told, character. <laughs> the amazing character. This character of Carl, who, <laughs> who lies about, lies to himself, lies to his friends, lies to his wife. And what he goes through in this movie to try to get honest with himself, let's put it that way, to be authentic. <laughs> is unlike anything you've seen, I think, in a modern movie or any movie. It's really, he goes someplace that you don't expect, and um, he kind of blows the roof off. So, uh, <laughs> and we're chuckling because I want you to see it. And Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, anything. Right? <laughs> we won't spoil anything except, except we can say that the movie does go there. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the ads or, or anything about the movie, you'll say, oh, the L.A. Times did say it might just have the most full frontal male nudity of any <laughs> mainstream film ever in the history uh-huh. of movies. Uh-huh. And there's and basically that's that's a true statement. Um, not that that's why we go see movies. And it, believe me, <laughs> it, it will agree, Neil. It's not gratuitous. It's part no, of the story. No, no. Yeah. yeah, it totally works in the movie. Yeah, totally it's more. Works, so. Yeah, it's not just. I was just say it's more funny, but it's not even just funny. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. uplifting. It it totally works in the movie. Along those lines, uh, maybe silly question. Did was there any problems with uh, uh getting the movie rated because of all the the full frontal nudity? Um, no, no. Uh, well, not, in fact, the movie is it's not gratuitous, and and that's not a. You know, it's so funny. A lot of people said um, when they read the script, uh, they said, well, yeah, you're going to, you know, we get it. They, they, they get naked, but you're, you're going to shoot around that, right? You're going to just shoot it by the way. And I looked at them and I went, what, are you kidding me? You think I'm going to pull back? <laughs> yeah. Which, it's, an indie, it's an indie film for one right, thing, right. so I can do whatever I want. And as long as the actors are willing to go there, then, then we're going to go there. No, no, this was mandatory. And they had to sign a nudity clause. And saying uh-huh. this is what we're doing, and you cannot back out of it if you agree. Mm-hmm. And 
but but the point was this is that people were like but you'll 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 the rating the rating i go where what do you think we're living in now this is this is 2018 it's like you know um first of all there are a couple of great movies out there that certainly go to full frontal um such as um forgetting sarah marshall which is one judd apatow or yeah. one of the funny i've ever seen where jason siegel is naked and, he, and his girlfriend's breaking up with him it's funniest I, I think that was a breakthrough moment in movies so hilarious and then more recently yeah, i think vigo mortensen and captain fantastic and, and you can go down the line this is not a new thing it's just we're still very puritan about it we're still very american which is uh-huh. to say we can see naked women naked breasts we can kill women naked and rape them on screen you know and yet it's a double standard you know we we don't see a full picture of a male you know male uh, men's nudity so mm-hmm. i i had to really say this movie is going to change that if i can and say no we we cannot shy away and ultimately everybody you know shrugged and went you're right you know this is a you know this is a real thing and and i have to say all the all the groups all the screenings i've done in europe you know it's not a problem you know male nudity it's like it's not a thing you know it's it, everybody is naked and you know they go to saunas together men and women naked it's not sexual you know mm-hmm. uh, but in america we still have that ooh you know it's it's a boo for seeing a penis, you know. Uh-huh. But so ultimately, not a problem. And it was just sort of funny to watch the reactions of audiences. Some just laugh, and others go, you know, they're a bit shocked. <laughs> right. And uh, and ultimately, we didn't. Um, it's not a ratings issue, you know. For sure. actually, the film the film is not rated actually. Right. So mm-hmm. and not not <laughs> too much of a spoiler here, but actually, what you're saying about. Uh, when the when the cast was acting, you're not going to really show this and stuff. I thought it was shot great because to begin with, I did feel like it was there's like a, the tables in certain places and the couch, and that's how it was going to be shot. But then it slowly, you know, you see more, more and more until you see everybody. And I thought uh, yeah. the way it was shot, I thought it was great because it kind of gives you the hint that they're not going to you're not going to show everything, and then you do. No, we show everything, and and yeah. there's even my favorite shot in in the world is after Timothy Bottoms. Not to spoil the whole thing, but in any, in any case, he, there's a shot of him walking down a hallway in his house uh-huh. and without a stitch on, you know. And it's one of my favorite shots because it just shows a man in this big, ridiculous mansion. He's alone. Mm-hmm. You know, his daughter has just walked out in a huff, and there he is. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, you, you never get to see that. It's like, that's real in a certain uh-huh. way. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. all done very very uh, authentically let's put it that way yeah where was it filmed because a uh, very big house and everything's very white oh yeah. yeah so the location uh first of all the film was was made in los angeles with you know in a certain way this type of men's group is you know more it's not a surprise that it might come out of that type of culture sure which is you no, know, it's a bit liberal, a bit Jewish, a bit, uh, you know, a little bit mixed uh, racially, but you know, not overly. It's it, it's it's speaking to that, you know, 
um, part of the culture in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But the house, you know, it it was such a miracle to get this house, and I got it, you know, because I begged practically on my hands and knees for this guy to give it to us because the house was had had. This is just behind the scenes now. This house had been a you know remodel that this guy did, and he was trying to sell it for like seven million dollars, you know, in Brentwood in Los Angeles, and he didn't have a buyer for like a year and a half, and I think he was really on his pins about it. Like, oh my god, I sunk all this money and I'm trying to sell it, and I just came across it searching locations. And so the house was staged for sale. Okay. No one had ever lived in it. Mm-hmm. And so it had all this great stuff. It had furniture and pianos. And it had been staged by the real estate company to sell it and was pristine. And the guy said, like, no, I can't let you have my house. And I said, but, you know, we'll, we're, we have a very short shooting schedule. We'll be in and we'll get out and we'll put paper down on everything. And Finally, I was. I said, "Listen, even if someone were to try and buy the house, you won't be able to sell it for at least six, eight weeks. You know, be an escrow, and we'll be." And so I did my whole song and dance, and finally he acquiesced and he let us do it. You know, yeah, we paid for it, but you know, they're a big <laughs> part of the budget, I might say, uh, because it was the lo- location. This is a house movie. Everyone should know mm-hmm. this is a movie that takes place on a single morning in a house and around the house. And around the environment of it, and um, very much like a play almost. And uh, so we really, you know, we have there are certain flashbacks and things like that, but mm. mostly the whole action takes place. So the location was so important, and it was white. And I said, it's great. It's like this guy, it's played by Timothy Bottoms. He's he's mortgaged his whole life to like build this this dream house, mm. and he wakes up on this day and like his wife's not even there. And his daughter's nowhere to be seen. It's like, in a way, it's like this is the American dream. Like, work your ass off to have this big house and nobody's there. You yeah. know, and it's sort of a feeling I have about that. Yeah. And everything that it, it is so clean and white, it, it's almost like it's not lived in, even though he's in there. Exactly. And, he's, and his character is so um, obsessive compulsive about trying to keep it all clean and everything because it's, it's where he's put all his energy but it's an amazing location and it really worked for the film absolutely yeah and uh, who did the animation for uh i forget how you pronounce it in the movie but for for uranus uh uranus or however you guys say it uh and in the cronus segment uh when you're telling the story because uh, it's uh you know kind of crude and stuff but it totally i, I love the uh the animation for for that story uh yeah the animation um on um, by a really uh, amazing guy, um, and uh, his name is Brian Brian Eng. And Brian, um, well, let me back it up so people know what I'm talking about. So, in the movie, and welcome sure. to the men's group. Part part of this part of the idea we wanted to get into was about um, the importance of storytelling mm-hmm. and how men. Uh, use storytelling and mythology to to understand we all have men and women to understand ourselves to understand where we've come from um, 
the ancient myths, the Greek myths of uh, Kronos and Oronos and the Titans and the gods, those are all aspects of like our masculinity, our father issues, the wounds that are sustained from fathers and sons. I wanted to touch on that because storytelling is, um, and my character, who's this sort of college professor, uh, initiates it. And, and, and people have heard that like, oh yeah, in men's groups, you like do drumming and you go in the woods and you tell stories to kind of reconnect with your, your masculinity and your ancient male. And in a way they do that, even in this little, um, in this crazy white, they try to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, let's do animation. And again, this was another point when some people said animation, this is like a movie, comedy, drama. You'll never get away with doing animation in the middle of your movie. And I said, no, no, it's, it's going to work. It's going to be part of the story. And I, yeah. I submit that it, it does work. It's a lot of fun. It's interesting. And it's mm-hmm. right at a moment when you're, you've heard the guys talking quite a bit. And there's a lot of talking in this movie, mostly talking. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of want to go somewhere. You want to get away from this room. And so the idea is go into the cave, go into like the ancient cave where, where cave drawings were 50,000 years ago and where men and women, of course, too, told stories about, about the gods. And they, they go into this um, uh, kind of imagined space, we would say, you know, it's like their collective imagination. And they, and you see the story of the Titans, um, play out on the cave walls as drawings and it's um, really it's one of my favorite parts of the film um the idea was to get into the original relationships between fathers and sons mm-hmm. and in the greek stories uh Oranos, who's the sky father um <clears throat> has a son named chronos and they have basically a, a kind of tension between them and eventually Kronos rises up and, and well, uh, wounds Oranos, his father, mm-hmm. and tries to take his place, in a sense. And, and these, are, these are archetypal issues between men and fathers, fathers and sons. And the idea was to, it would generate, in, you know, a kind of uh, provocation in the group so that they could talk about these issues that they have with their fathers, with their, with their feelings. And, um, and so we did animation and it, it, it just kind of blends, it goes right into it. And it's a welcome piece of storytelling. And, uh, Brian, um, I literally was look that way. I found him, Brian Eng. I found him by looking on YouTube and saying, I want cave drawings, uh-huh. <laughs> animation that look like cave drawings. And I looked around. And there was this little video that he had made as like a graduate project at, um, at school. Like mm-hmm. I think in, I think it might've been at USC. I'm not sure. And then, and it was like dinosaurs and there were like shadows on a cave wall. And I went, Oh, this is, looks good. You know? Yeah. And then when I, and I sought him out and I tracked him down and I said, listen, I have this thing. What do you think? And, he says, all right, let's give it a shot. And then we did storyboards. And I, I, I drew everything first in my crazy cartoon way. Mm-hmm. And then he started making images out of that. And we finally got it. And I said, and it's got to have this rough look of, of the cave wall and firelight, you know. Mm-hmm. And he just 
pulled it off. It just looks beautiful, I think. Yeah. I so, agree. It looked great. I, I was a, I was a big fan of it. And it, I think it totally works it totally works in the movie too. You know, I like that style. I uh I did some uh, stone carving a few years ago and I uh I tried to have it have that kind of uh, rough uh mm. you know, old look to it like something and I don't know, it was fun. So it it totally works yeah. in the end. I'm glad. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's it's really I, I love animation and you know, I just thought, you know, we should we should definitely go for it because it also again it speaks to there's an image and it comes back a few times in the movie where you see mm-hmm. these sort of masks on the cave wall. Yeah. And that whole idea, you know, what what these guys are doing in this men's group is is it's it's today and they're sort of stumbling through it and they're not very good at it and they're making mistakes but it's an ancient ritual i think it goes back Mm -hmm. thousands of years to our earliest ancestors who basically connected with nature and with each other by telling stories and by meeting in council and and so the idea is that there's they're in this white sort of antiseptic house but they're sitting right on top of the cave somewhere you know, yeah, yeah, and it gives it like a time, gives it a timeless feel. Exactly. Is, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, because uh, that's a big part of the movie is, is uh, the father and son. Um, for you yourself, uh, having a famous uh, father who was an actor, uh, um, was that hard for you to become an actor? Was it something that he wanted you to do, or is it something uh, you yourself wanted to do? No, that's a. It's a really great question. Um, just to let people in uh, on that. So, yeah, I'm Joseph Culp, and my father was Robert Culp, who was a very famous actor and uh, and was in countless movies and television shows, including some really big ones. I Spy in the 1960s, uh, Greatest American Hero. A lot of people know that one. He played the FBI guy. And uh, even Everybody Loves Raymond. He was, he was in that. And, and just... He's a major, major star. And so I grew up in the 70s, 60s and 70s, you know, with him as this, you know, larger than life kind of figure. He was my dad. And, and uh, you know, I I knew uh, we were, you know, he was my loving dad and all that. But he was, you know, really huge. And and for any kid to grow up with that, it's it's a kind of it's a certain type of blessing and a curse to some degree, you know, right. is like, you know, the blessing is like, wow, my dad is like super cool and famous. And there's a certain kind of entitlement that goes with that. And as, and for me to, to go into it, which was in a way, you know, a little crazy. It's like, you know, why go into the same business as your dad when he's so big, you know, how can you match that? And, and I'm, I don't, really pretend that I can. I just felt that I was connected in the sense that I, well, that I also had talent, you know, mm-hmm. and it permitted me to think that I had talent and that I, I was also passionate about acting and I liked acting and I, it was fun and it was challenging and it was all the things that I saw him do. So in some ways I, I think, you know, speaking from the men's group perspective, you could say that I was trying to connect with my dad by becoming also an actor and an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and I will say that he didn't discourage it. He didn't encourage it like extraordinarily because I mm-hmm. think he knew 
how challenging it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he definitely set the bar, you know, very high about about acting, about art, about filmmaking. You know, he was also a director and directed a lot, and he was a a really prolific writer as well. Most people don't know that about my dad, but he was a very, very prolific writer. And he wrote a lot of the television shows that he did. Um, so this was, you know, this was, you know, reaching for the grail time, you know, but I, I, uh, you know, he, he was supportive. Uh, he actually gave me one of my very first jobs, if not my very first, just to kind of bless me on my way, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, on on one of his TV shows, so I got a gig from him. And uh, but I, you know, I I went my own way, and you have to forge your own path as an actor. I think we both looked at. I think you know when you're the son of somebody, they they look at you and go like, well, okay, that maybe they think you're a little bit special, so we should you know take a look at you. On the other hand, you know, there's that measure. Like, are you, are you as you know, good as him? Are you, you know? And so, in a way, you'd almost be better off not having that. So you mm-hmm. don't have that kind of, you know, tension to work against. Um, so I think it served me and also was a challenge at the same time. That's the way I would say it. I, I, I studied theater. I, was, I went deep into training as an actor. It was, it was something I took very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, you know, by making films, you know, uh, even more so. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, it was a rich kind of upbringing in that sense. Uh, I mean, I got to have that view of Hollywood that many people don't, mm-hmm. which is very, can be good. On the other hand, you know, like I, I say, it's, it's kind of a funny balance because if you don't have all those, if you didn't grow up in the industry or the show business, you know, in a way you have no uh, predispositions about it. You know, you could be naive and that could be actually a good thing, you know, because it can make, mm-hmm. mean there's no limitations. Instead of I saw my dad, even though he was a huge star, I also saw him struggle, you know, for many in, in many different ways, whether it was trying to get a project on or with various producers or whatever it was. So that could predispose me a bit to the, the challenge of Hollywood, whereas some people just walk in from Nebraska and say, hey, you know, I'm just going to be a star, you know, and mm-hmm. they do. So, you know, it's a funny, funny kind of balance there. Mm-hmm. So uh, how close is the Michael uh, character you play in, in the movie to yourself? <laughs> you know, you should inform your statements a little bit, Neil. It's like, uh, well, who, who is the Michael character? Your audience doesn't know. So, uh, <laughs> There are eight eight characters in in Welcome to the Men's Group. Uh-huh. Uh, they all represent, I would say, certain kind of uh, um, archetypes, if you will, of men today. Um, you know, and, and different different attitudes that men have. Men have, such as you know, one guy's, you know, he's Latino, so he, he's got a bit of a macho thing going on, which he says he's really evolved and new agey, but in a way he can still get really defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy is, you know, like the Tobolowski character. He's, why is he in this men's group? He's just, he's kind of a, you know, he's a screw up and he's, he's, he lies all the time. <laughs> he's, 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 
the businesses and and they fail and you know but he he represents a lot of men that i've known and, and even parts of myself about you know dreaming too much and not being you know in reality um but the michael character the one i play um we were initially even looking for other actors to play michael but i eventually it just became clear to me that i should play him because i i understood the material really well Mm -hmm. he's a college professor he has he's a self-avowed sex addict in recovery Mm -hmm. so he has this whole thing about i know i'm a sex addict i had multiple affairs in my life i I, but i'm in my program he's in the 12-step program which is not the men's group it's outside of it and he's a bit preachy and he's kind of a he's kind of the unofficial leader of the group and that also kind of worked for me to direct since i was directing the movie it was a bit similar in a certain way mm-hmm. i said okay we're gonna do this now that was very much michael you know <laughs> as well as joseph um he's not I, michael's story is not really my story mm-hmm. um i relate to a lot of the stuff that he talks about um but it's not biographical or autobiographical in that sense mm-hmm. um actually based on more it's based more specifically on 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 other men that i've known actually mm-hmm. um but i really but i i do relate to his the way he comports himself um he he's very uh he's very knowledgeable he's very he does want to push everybody to grow and to experiment and try these ideas in the men's group. And I'm, I do that, you know, I, I'm a director. I, uh, I'm also a teacher. I, I taught acting and I teach other body mind work as well. So I, I'm very familiar with that sort of, uh, you know, passion about uh, pushing people. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he's also blind to his own, kind of advice in a certain way you know which is really what michael is ultimately what is revealed about him is that he you know is is very good at sort of circumventing the truth for himself even though he seems even though he believes himself that he's very truthful and that's that's true that's tricky but i would submit that most men experience that i certainly you know could say to have been guilty of that before yeah. Uh, I know a lot of men that have. Um, and then the issue of his feelings of shame, I think, about, about his, his past or things he's done. That's not quite my story, but I do, you know, I'm a man. I relate to grief. I relate to shame. I relate to all those toxic things that men go through. Um, so, yeah, it's it was... It was, uh, and I worked on it a long time, you know, so I felt the material was really inside me in a certain way. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, not really like me exactly, but I, I brought myself to it. Let's put it that way. You know? Yeah. Uh, what was the reception like at, uh, the festivals? Uh, wonderful. Uh, that was, you know, <laughs> We can get into a whole discussion about, you know, how do you release a film today? You know, yeah, um, an independent film. How do you get it released? And how, who's going to, you know, how are you going to draw attention to it for people to see it? It's a really 
really different world now. Um, 20 years ago, we'd even go to festivals and get a lot of kudos and probably get a distributor to pick you up. And, and I have no doubt that that's what have happened with men's group. But we're not in that era anymore. It's not so easy. Um, most distributors, even if they loved your film, and many loved this film, they want you to pay for everything. So that old arrangement of like, well, the distributor will help, you know, put it in theaters and pay for ads, and then they'll take it out of what we make. You know, that whole model is just gone because most people get their content on VOD and they don't want, distributors don't want to put a bunch of money into something where they um, are really have no guarantee anymore. Um, movies are not so much, you know, actor driven quite as they used to be. Uh, that's really changed. So consequently, we, we did almost a year and a half, almost two years, really, of just doing festivals and special screenings all around the world. And, and part of that was strategic, too. It was like, well, I want to connect with the audience for the film so they're aware of it. And, and it's also it's a topic film. It's a real issue-driven film. So that means people really want to talk about it. And then the best way to do that is to do it with a live screening. Um, so we got to do that and it was wonderful. It was like, I would say, you know, I want to say overwhelmingly people were enthusiastic about this film. They thought, wow, it's speaking to issues that we just don't hear about. We don't see them on TV or movies. Uh, you know, we're going into this private space with men and really seeing them get vulnerable, which is something you rarely see in movies. Mm -hmm. is male vulnerability. Um, so people were really over the moon about it in festivals. And uh, I'm only sorry we didn't play more, you know, but that's a kind of a game too about submitting to festivals and you spend tons of money trying to get into festivals. But if you don't have an advocate right. for that festival, it's very hard to get in. So mm -hmm. the ones we did, we played about six or seven and it was, it was marvelous really well received uh, women in particular are just over the moon about the film and that was kind of a big surprise in a certain way i was like i knew that that was part of it that women would be fascinated maybe by what we were going to show them about men mm -hmm. but we still couldn't really see what the reaction would be and 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 it was just like oh my god I, i've been waiting to see a movie like this about men waiting you know I, I, men are opening up and having these feelings and it's like it gives me hope about men <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I love that they get naked because why not you know why should we be sure. prudish about that and it was just like wow we really hit one and out of the park for for women again because I think you know again they're they're looking for men you know, that can speak on, on uh, you know, women love to talk about their feelings and, 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 mm -hmm. and be in empathy with each other. And men are usually just competing on some level. And uh, it was refreshing to see this kind of film. So uh, we got laughs, big laughs in all the right places and some I never even dreamed. And, um, and also when the stuff gets serious, you could hear a pin drop, you know, it was like it gets really real and the audience is totally there. Very few walkouts on this film. I I, I dare say I saw, you know, not even a handful. 
So that was really gratifying for me as a, as a filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. And now get to see it in the comfort of their own homes. But you know, that, that communal experience of being in theater, you know, that's, that's where I came from. That's where you come from. I'm sure it's like, that's why we went to the movie. Oh yeah. I, uh, I just, yeah, I just came from a film festival that for, uh, for a little over a week, uh, Buffalo dreams, uh, fantastic film festival. And, uh, to me, I mean, I love watching movies at home and everything, but there's nothing like watching it, not only on the big screen, but like you said, with a group of people and, uh, you share the experience and, uh, for you people oh. laughing, you know, it really adds to the whole experience of watching the movie. Oh, absolutely. I think that's really, it's funny. We say today it adds to the experience when in fact it really was the primary experience. That's why mm-hmm. we went to the, I mean, we, did, we wanted to see a, a, a story mm-hmm. in this art form to be with an audience just watching it on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's such a pleasure to get, I'm going to get to do it. I'm going to do a special screening in, um, uh, Marin County, San Rafael, near San Francisco, uh, December 6th. And we're going to have a whole panel of speakers talking about men's issues and men's groups and authors and stuff. So it's a great opportunity for people to, you know, especially today in the, in the, in the time of, of, of Me Too and Time's Up. Mm-hmm. You know, this film is quite timely in that sense. It's really saying, you know, men are out there trying to evolve and trying to explore and mm-hmm. be better men in a certain way than, mm-hmm. than what Time's Up and, and Me Too is all about. You know, yeah. so it's kind of an important part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think sometimes people think um, what you just said there means like, uh, you can't really be a man anymore, but, uh, oh, he said to be a better man. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily masculine, masculine just to be like, a, a, a you know, grunt and, and watch sports and, and, you know, uh, it'd be nasty to women. This, uh, I agree with what you said about, uh, and it's cool that you women know, not really take the movie. Well, it is. I mean, that's, it's such an important issue is that, is that all the men I know are not what, let's say, you know, our baser natures or whatever you right. want to call it. Like, I mean, I, I don't know any men who who subscribe to the, this sort of, uh, you know, so, so-called caveman thing of just, you mm-hmm. know, being, whatever, you know, sexually inappropriate and abusive and all that. I mean, obviously, it's still out there. That's still going on. But I don't know anybody. Why? Because we have evolved. We've already evolved. We're not the men. You and I are not the men that our fathers were or our grandfathers. You know, we, we're, we're hip to equality, if you want to even call it that anymore. And of course, you know, it's like it mm-hmm. goes without saying. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, we know, know that those attitudes persist, you know. And so what I wanted to say with this movie is that men are much more than they even allow themselves to be and that we have all, all that potential we are we don't have to lose our masculinity what is masculinity we're mm-hmm. not going to lose you know we have to discover it and think that it's only limited to you know uh, a sort of heterosexuality or mm-hmm. or you know <clears throat> whatever you know being being 
strength and forceful. Masculinity is much more profound than that. It's a part of get me going on the, you know, it's a universal part of the energy or something, you know, it's like uh-huh. there's feminine energy, masculine energy. It's all part of this universe, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we, we as men who are born male, you know, we're, we express that energy and it's very wonderful and valuable and essential. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not even a sexual thing. This is about, mm-hmm. you know, just who we are. So, you know, it's, uh, I still, I think there's a lot of confusion out there, you know, about what a man, what does it mean to be a man? And mm-hmm. there's a lot of old prevailing attitudes that are antiquated in a mm-hmm. certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the movie is trying to get at. Yeah. And um, I also have to mention, because uh, I believe it's just been added to YouTube for the first time legally, is uh, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. People can finally see yeah. it. And you are the original Doctor Doom. And I have to say, I, uh, my brother, huge comic book fan, my older brother, and I grew up, you know, uh, uh, you look up to my brother and when we, and he bought, you know, the bootleg version, I have to say, uh, years ago at Boston, at Boston caught like a Boston comic con, but there was no other way to get the movie at the time. And I've always said this, not just cause you're here, but I still think that's the best version of fantastic four. That's uh, uh movie wise. Well, dude, you are not alone. Um, you know, what can we say? There's a whole wonderful documentary out there now. Yes. You saw it called doom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a wonderful. Marty Langford did it. Uh, who's out of Massachusetts, by the way? Um, yeah, I had him on the show. Fan. I had him on the show when 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 it came out. Oh, awesome! Great, yeah. great. Um, yes, uh, you know we're not alone in saying that. You know, even in our humble, low budget, you know, version of Fantastic Four, I still think that that film got it right in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know it. It, it was true to the spirit of the comic. It honored the origins. Um, and it didn't try to reinvent so much that it makes it kind of a modern idiom or whatever. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, you know, that my, my, what I tried to do as Dr. Doom was to really embody, you know, how he, how he is in those comics and his kind of tyrannical and classical kind of demeanor. He's, and, and, you know, what happened in the later versions uh, where they tried to make everybody kind of cool and, you know, that's that just uh, lost the fans, you know. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's the great, great irony is that, is that at this point, you read the, the first version is still might be the best or the closest. I, yeah. to, I think I think it's the most yeah. enjoyable of them. Well, there you go. That's what counts, yeah. huh? Yeah. And I got did to you... see it once. Yeah. Uh, you got to see I, I, it? I mean, I've seen it many times, but yeah. I got to see it in a, uh, projected with, in a theater. Oh, nice. And it was, uh, yeah, St. Louis Comic Con or uh, Horror Con or whatever it was. And we were invited out, me and a bunch of the cast and the director. And the guy said, screw it. What are they going to do? Arrest us? You know, let's just show it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they just showed it, you know, uh, for for those who are missing what the thread of what we're saying, the original Fantastic Four movie, you know, was shelved and it was never officially released, obviously. And mm-hmm. so so that means it was never officially shown in a theater either. Mm-hmm. And, and and so this guy showed it in a, in a hotel with a big 
a big ballroom, <laughs> and it was outstanding. I mean, people just laughed and cheered, and it was like had a ball. It was, it was just great. So, yeah. some justice there. Did you were, were you familiar with the Doctor Doom character before you got the role? I knew about Doom um, um, because I knew Fantastic Four a bit from my childhood. Um, uh-huh. I wasn't huge. I was a, more of a horror, you know, monster movie guy. guy. Um, but but I liked certain comics, and I have to say, Fantastic Four was probably the one I liked the best. And then here I am. Years later, thirty—I think it was about thirty—when that came around, I was like, "Wow, Doctor Doom! Are you kidding?" Hmm. And I went back down to the comic book store and I bought a bunch of <coughs> a bunch of old issues and started looking through it. And I, okay, I'm gonna. Oh yeah, I'm gonna do this. This I, I'm gonna, I'm totally gonna do this. And and it happened. Um, I worked my ass off to be Doom and and do it. <clears throat> with as much you know gusto bravado as I possibly could, and I, um, so I didn't know a lot about it, but then I learned a lot about him, and and mm-hmm. really got, and, and then I even inserted certain things even in the performance honor that even if they were very personal, you know, about Doom's story and about the history of what happened with him. Yeah. So um, when you when you first get in the costume, and you know after you're reading it, and you're finding about Doctor Doom. Uh, when you first see yourself, you know, dressed as Doom with the mask on, the the robe and everything, the cape, uh, what's that? Uh, what's that feeling like to see yourself as Doctor Doom? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it all came together uh, quite quickly. Um, you know, they had to, ca- we, we, you know, I worked with the guys to to make casts of my body so they could fashion the pieces. Um, which they did, and the mask and the carving, and um, and so finally putting it all together. That, that's really funny. I mean, I I'm trying to remember that moment right now, and I think yeah. it happened on you know the Corman soundstage when we finally you know started to put all the pieces together and take a look. It was like, whoa, here I am. I'm really here. <laughs> <laughs> It was, uh, it, you know, the experience, which I've been quoted a few times, is that it was really difficult. You know, it was really um, challenging. And I don't, I don't whine a lot as an actor. I'm down with, like, doing my own stunts or whatever. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm, I try to be, I'm a tough guy with that, you know. But I have to say, this was like, you know, this is before CGI and before beautiful. You know, sure, they weren't made out of rubber. Let's put it that way. These were big pieces. They were made specifically for me, but you know, they had to be fixed together. They were made of a super hard plastic, and I, you know, I had to wear all of that plus the cape, plus the outfit, and his gun, and a mask, and a hood. <laughs> it's uh-huh. like. Oh my God, you know, I'm really, I'm really in this tin can now for, you know, every day for, you know, many hours a day. And I remember them, there was some footage, I think, too, of like them, you know, trying to take little fans and push them up under my mask to try to, you know, <laughs> to keep you a little cool, bit of yeah. <laughs> out a little bit because I was just sweating like a, like a, like a horse under there. 
Uh-huh. And uh, uh, it was really grueling, man. It was really tough. But, you know, I did what a good actor should do, which is like, all right, I just, I turned that, my discomfort into the performance. I turned it into, you know, his emotional life. I turned it into his rage, his anger, his his desire for power and release, you know. Uh-huh. So I tried to kind of go with all those ideas because physically it was so challenging. Um, I got used to it, of course, after, after a while. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like, all right, back in the suit, here we go. And then I got a bit more free. And, but the big challenge there was um, how, how am I going to do this performance when uh-huh. I'm wearing, you know, this encased in this suit? And for me, the answer was was to, to connect everything uh, emotional that was going on and, and with the words to a physical expression. I said, he has to move. You know, we have to see his arms and feel his body in the space and and the gestures. And I looked at a lot of the comics for that, too. The comic, his mm-hmm. incredible, you know, the way he was drawn with this incredible imperious power um so it was all about gestures and you know working through the scenes and finding you know signature things that he could do that would tell the audience this guy is is is, is a big guy and he's, he's powerful and he's in he's trouble you know mm-hmm. so, and, uh, i mean that was part of the mystery of it yeah. yeah i kind of know the answer to this but you know, all the hard work, and you said, you know, you get to wear the of the suit and the hood and all and the mask and all these things, and uh, and then it doesn't get released. You know, what what is that experience like at that time? You know, I remember being disappointed, but not like freaking out about it. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like I remember like. I'm pretty sure it was Ole Sasson, the director, called me and says, listen, man, I, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but they're, they're holding back the film, you know. And, and, and I think we weren't even quite sure what it meant yet. Yeah. I think at first I thought, well, they're just, you know, going to wait. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was, like, really dead, like, really over. Like, there was never going to be seen. Uh-huh. That, that I didn't quite understand for a while. So I think it kind of came gradual. I was like, well, all right. So it's not going to get released yet, yet, you know? And then he intimated, I think, in the time to come that, like, no, this is they're really not going to show, you know, it's not going to get a release. Mm-hmm. But I think I didn't have to believe it. And, and then part of me just, you know, protected myself. And I said, well, okay, um, move on to the next thing and just, you know. Um, so it's funny. It's like I... I didn't, I know some of the other actors were absolutely, you know, at least appeared sort of de- devastated by yeah. it, but I didn't allow myself to feel that way. I was like, look, I did a good job. I, I did the best I could do. Um, I did get a copy of it, a bootleg <laughs> copy, and uh-huh. I was very happy, so it's not all over, mm-hmm. but... But yeah, I just kind of let it slide and, you know, concentrated on other things and other jobs and other, and then, you know, I, as it went on, I think I just tried to put it out of my mind. 
You know, I think mm-hmm. I didn't want to feel that kind of whatever disappointment and depression too much. So I tried to put it away. Yeah. And, and then, you know, within a few years, you know, of course it became clear, but you know, you realize it took 13 years to make a big budget version, which is what their whole argument was. Constantine bought back the film from Corman. He's going to shelve it and he's going to make a big budget version of the film. It was 13 years. It was over a decade before that came up. So mm-hmm. that was enough time to just kind of shrug and go, well, I don't know what's ever going to happen with the Fantastic Four. It's just a shame nobody's seen this thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so in a way you just, you know, my life went on. I, I, I had my kids, you know, and stuff like that yeah. happened, you know. Stuff. Yeah, of course. But yeah. um, the, the irony was that within a few years, it was clear to me that, yeah, it wasn't coming out, but more importantly, that the bootleg was getting around. And that mm-hmm. was the real story. That's the story of this movie, is that yeah. more people ended up seeing this film than probably if it had ever been released. And that's a fact. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty, pretty sure. interesting. I mean, I think hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have seen the film. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that if it had been released in 1994, whenever it was, uh, it would have been out for some weeks and maybe wound up on TV. But I don't know that people would have seen it, even though it's a shame that it didn't happen. And mm-hmm. the bootleg, I mean, yeah, VHS went around for years. And then eventually uh, DVDs started coming out that were better quality. It was like, okay. And then a guy I knew, an editor who passed me something, <laughs> and it was basically like the definitive DVD at this point. This was uh-huh. you know, several years ago. Yeah. <laughs> now, Marty Langford, and he, and he would be fine with this because he told me so. We were at a, a, a convention recently. He, he made a, um, uh, he, he you know, did an up res or whatever he did of the best version that he had, and he put it on a Blu-ray. And he has them, and he gives them away. Like Robin Hood. Gives yeah. them away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, you know, it's like, if anything, we would love to provoke enough to say, then release the film. If you're upset right. that boots are going around and you've lost money or something, then then go ahead and make a release of it, you know? Right. Give us an official version. But as you yeah. said, you know, it's on YouTube now. So happy days. You can yeah. watch it if you want. When, now, when, millions of, when did you, when did you know it had like this following and the bootleg was going around? Was it like when you like internet started or uh, like how, how did you find out about you know like that's people? Really watching? funny you should say that because you know like when internet started. So yeah, this was before the internet when mm-hmm. this movie was made, and uh, yeah, by about ninety eight, ninety nine, when were we? starting to do a lot of internet um um certainly by by then i mean i was aware that certain people had it because i would meet people and they're like oh i have a copy i got it you know but remember also that 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 comic book culture when we made the film was not yet mainstream it was still Mm -hmm. underground in a certain way then comic book culture began to take off with movies and just with other stuff, you know, the advent of Comic-Con and, yeah. and all of that. And, you know, it's like now 
comic book culture is totally mainstream. By that, I'm. I remember a moment in the early two thousands where, gosh, I think it was the first time when me and and the other cast members were invited to a comic book store. Yeah, I'm going to say this is around 2005. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that coincides with the fact that the other movie came out around then, I think. Right. Um, the, the, first, the first big budget Fox version of the film of Fantastic Four. And, and I remember we were invited and we, most of us went. I remember I went and Alex Hyde-White and Rebecca. Um, and we went to a comic book store in L.A. somewhere. Because they they wanted to invite us um, to sign some stuff and talk about the movie. And we did. And I think it was at that moment that we kind of realized, oh, it's been like 10 years and people have been watching our movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and now comic book stuff is getting bigger. You know, we're starting to get movies with big production values. And... And yeah, so I'm going to put it around then. I would say, you know, somewhere between eight and 10 years went by. And then we started realizing that, you know, the, the bootleg's been out there for a long time. It's been circulating. Everybody knows this movie. Um, and, and we're kind of celebrities in a certain way. And, yeah. and that's when we started getting invited to more stuff. And I did Comic-Con, I think I did it at least three times. And I was encouraged, like, please come and, you know, and, and bring shots of doom. And I had a, a lot of great stuff. I had a lot of great, um, I still, I still have tons of great uh, photography from the original movie that they gave me, you know, proof positive that they wanted to release the film originally mm-hmm. and um, have a lot of that material. And so I would go and sign and, Eventually, it turned into something really kind of sweet, you know, and kind of wonderful that people could come up to me and say, I watched the movie first when it was a VHS, then it was a DVD, and I love your version of Doom really rocks. And, you know, that was really nice to hear after all that time. You know, it was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I busted my butt to do that role. And at least now people have a little bit of, um, you know, there's visibility in there and they're expressing, uh, some, you know, thanks about it. So it was really nice. Mm-hmm. Really nice. Yeah. My son, you know, became a big, big fan of Marvel and, and, and he, he grew up with me as Dr. Doom. He knew, you know, he was watching mm-hmm. it HS and he was three, you know, <laughs> and that was a big deal for him. <clears throat> and he had a little doom doll and he'd run around the house imitating me and, Eventually, uh, he even bought a really awesome mask, a metal mask. Oh, it's a great, a metal artist made a doom mask. It's oh, awesome. Wow. It looks like absolutely perfect. And with a, with a beautiful green cowl. And so Jackson, my son made a cape and he, we put together some other stuff. So we would go to Comic-Con and stuff and he would go for it. He'd cosplay. <laughs> Yeah, so my son awesome. cosplay as his old man. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty sweet. And uh, the Doom documentary is great. I recommend uh, people check that out. Uh, I really dug that. It's really well done. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So I do have to ask too, because uh, you mentioned briefly about being a, a, a horror fan as a kid. So I have to ask, what were your favorite horror movies? Uh, favorite horror movies? I so I really was raised and on on uh, on the original Universal horror stuff. You know that that to me, you know, was I grew up in the period of also in the early uh, mid '60s. There's a kind of resurgence of horror movies, probably because of television, was now showing them a lot. Mm-hmm. So Frankenstein, The Mummy, Wolfman, um, Dracula, you know, all the biggies, um, Invisible Man, Creature, you know, mm-hmm. um, all of those guys. And along with that were the famous Aurora hobby kits, you know. Oh, yes, where, yeah. My uh, brother had those. Built, passed them down yeah, to me. Yeah. I was like my brother. I built every single one of them. Uh-huh. My brother did too, and they were to me. They were just fantastic and freaky and wonderful, and and I spent hours working on those models and painting them and thinking about them and imagining those, you know, the weirdness of those hard movies and the monsters. And as I got to see each one of them, and even older stuff, even the silent stuff, and I was a fan of Lon Chaney, and I used to get oh, yeah. books about it. You know, and uh, Jenny Senior and Junior, and all the all the favorites, and um, and I even, you know, because I was fascinated by all those monsters, um, that translated to into a love of uh, horror movies, particularly I think older ones, you know. Um, and almost and, and most, you know, I didn't I wasn't a huge fan of like slasher <clears throat> stuff. Mm-hmm. That really wasn't my thing that came later in the 70s. But a lot of movies up through even bad old horror movies. I, I'm a great I'm a Rift Tracks fan and uh-huh. MST 3000. And so I love old, you know, even really what we consider kind of B movies and bad movies, too, you know, mm-hmm. because I get a kick out of them and they're fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big part. Godzilla, huge Godzilla fan. Um, yeah. My son is an encyclopedia on Godzilla now. Um, <laughs> every single Godzilla. And yeah, and so that goes on. And some modern horror, of course, I love too. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, um, Exorcist and Shining and Omen, all the classics kind of that came out of the 70s too, I really mm-hmm. appreciate. Um I mentioned well, earlier. I'm here. One story. Got. Tacos of my heart. You know, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula. Um, those those guys are are reign supreme, and all of the litany, all the all the various incarnations. You know, of those films. The yeah. Five the five Frankenstein films, and mm-hmm. all the different remakes and 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 sequels. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. The uh, and when I mentioned earlier about uh, stone carving uh, in Hunter Mountain in the Catskills, there's a boulder up there with different. Uh, but anyway, my Frankenstein monster that I carved into a boulder in, in Hunter Mountain that's that's still up there. I've not finished it. I've gone three times over the once uh, every year. Go up there for a couple of days, and someday I'll finish it. But Frankenstein, fabulous! Oh, oh, that's wonderful. I hope you do. I hope you do. Got it. You got to You know. Yeah, this this last Halloween, I, you know, as I'm I'm in France right now, so I've 
didn't really have access to a lot of movies or anything. It was always a ritual. My son and I would watch a lot. All during October, we'd watch like all the movies. That was mm-hmm. like part of our thing. All the original Universal horror and a lot of others. And so I thought, what can I watch? No Halloween. Nobody really cares in Europe, you know. But Halloween's very American. So I thought, oh, I think it's time to watch watch Freaks, Todd Browning's Freaks. Oh, that's a great movie, so yeah. I watch like that. will give me a nice, creepy feeling for, uh, for Halloween. So that's what I did. Yeah, one of us, one of us. One of us. One <laughs> of us. <laughs> Real quick, uh, a few years ago, a few years ago, just real quick, a few years ago for Halloween, it was one of the coolest experiences I had was uh, going to see um, the original Phantom of the Opera, the silent one, with a live orchestra in Boston. It was just an amazing experience. Wow. I saw that. I saw original Phantom. Yeah, I was probably about nine or something. There used to be a movie theater in L.A. called the silent movie theater and it quite a uh-huh. couple of decades it really did show just silent movies so i saw a lot i saw hunchback there i saw um phantom um some other old lon cheney stuff and uh yeah it's yeah it's a big part of my my inner uh, monster culture I, I really dig it yeah well i want to uh, thank so, you for coming on i want to thank you for coming yeah. on joseph it's been a great time uh, Thanks a lot, Neil. It's really been a pleasure. You're a pleasure yeah. to talk to. I hope uh, I give a plug to Welcome to the Men's Group. People will go check it out. It's my movie. Uh, it's uh, you really won't be sorry. It's it's a fun movie. It's also very interesting about men today, and uh, you can get it on um, iTunes, uh, Amazon, and Google Play at the moment. And it'll be you can check it out. Welcome yeah. to the men's group, and the and the website is themensgroupmovie.com. Yeah, and friend us on anytime. Yeah, and I'll have the link right on the website so people can uh, click on it. And uh, do you yourself have like a? I know you have a website. Do you have social media people follow you you personally? Please, on? Uh, anybody who likes to friend me on Facebook, uh, it's Joseph Culp and uh, the actor uh, and. Uh, and yeah, and I've uh, josephculp.com. I have a I have a professional website so you can reach me there and um feel free to reach out and share your story and um thanks again neil and it's been a pleasure thank you and i know it's been a little a longer than a half hour but i think it went well a little bit longer we did pretty <laughs> yeah. good yeah I think all so. right <laughs> thank Absolutely. you have a good Take day care yeah okay. Okay. Well, have a good time
Hi, this is Kane Hodder, Victor Crowley, Jason from Friday the 13th. You're listening to WithoutYourHead.com.